to catch you up. I said this. This is on the screen. You can just hear me. It says, our mind is the primary access point. Your mind and my mind are the primary access point for the enemy's movement in our lives. So get a picture of that. Just go read Romans 7, 21 through 24. That's that part where Paul talks about the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the very things that I do. When I want to, in my mind, do the things of the Lord, I find the law of sin and death coming after me. Oh, what a wretched man I am. It's this picture, I feel like, for so many of us of our own tension around our struggle with our minds. Second, I believe that we're under assault every day with lies from the enemy trying to keep us from the knowledge of Jesus in our lives. Some of you are like, amen, amen, and amen. I feel that every day. Third, this is just a non-exhaustive list. Non-exhaustive is important because I'm going to name some things here that I believe the enemy hopes to exhaust your mind with to keep you from the knowledge, basically to distract you with these things, to keep you from engaging the, the, the beauty of the mind of Christ that's been given you. And these things can hold us down. Some of those things, again, it's non-exhaustive. It's this fear, lust, control, anxiety, despair, apathy, rejection, rebellion, busyness, comparison, isolation, anger. It's just a short list of the many things that we wrestle with in life. I have a feeling that some of you can attest to some of these things in your life. As you see these, these are signs. When you recognize them in your life, they are signs pointing you to a reality of of not having been able to fully step into the mind of Christ, fully embrace the maturity that God has for you in engaging the mind of Christ. When we talk about the mind of Christ, we're literally saying you are a new creation, right? And that's the game changer in this number four. You've been given the mind of Christ. We'll talk about that here in a second, but it's a beautiful reality for us. Looking at this verse, we'll look at the foundation verse of the series, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. I think it's on the screen for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? You have, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been given the mind of Christ. We said last week that this is not some veiled statement with a hard-to-understand meaning that can only be deciphered by the spiritual and theological elite. No, Paul says what he means. If you are a follower of Christ, you've been given the mind of Jesus. Why? Because you, in Christ, are a new creation, we're told. You're a new creation. First Corinthians says we go down into death and then we're raised to a new life. We're clothed with Christ. We now have the fullness of Jesus in us. We have the mind of Christ. We've been given the mind of Christ. I encourage you to listen to last week's message to get the context. This morning, what I want to do is unpack the scripture itself. We're going to look at chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's going to overarch and we're going to go fast this morning. I encourage you to read it for yourself and allow the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ, to speak to you and empower you. If we could just press pause just real quick. This is really important. We talk about having the mind of Christ. Why is that important? Well, lots of reasons, all right? But part of it is, is you give yourself in prayer to relationship with Jesus. You have a mind of Christ to begin to comprehend spiritual truths. As you open up the Bible, 
you don't have to get someone else to explain it to you because you can literally, when I, when I go to spend time with Jesus, it's not uncommon for me to say, Holy Spirit, would you enlighten me today to the things that God is trying to speak through the word? Right? Holy Spirit, enlighten me through the mind of Christ. You, Holy Spirit, has the ability to speak. We'll see some of that language here. It's powerful and it's beautiful. And so this morning, again, breaking some of, this thing, some of these things down, as we talk about this scripture, building up the context of the verse. Now, I want you to recognize as we go through that really the dynamic tension that we're going to find here that Paul's getting at is what would be considered worldly wisdom versus spiritual wisdom. Worldly wisdom. Right, The philosophies and the thoughts and the processes of those who are not believers, specifically talking about worldly wisdom. right? And then there's spiritual wisdom, things that can only be discerned by those who have the Spirit of God in them, enlightening things, making things noticeable and known. I think the biggest one we're going to talk about is salvation. For those who were Christians, we had that moment where all of a sudden who Jesus was and what Scripture said and the cross itself, all of a sudden these things just made sense. We went from one moment they didn't make sense to all of a sudden we can't believe we never did not, that we never knew them before, right? We all of a sudden went from not understanding to having this conviction that this is the truest thing we've ever known in our entire life, right? This is spiritual wisdom, spiritual knowledge, being awakened to spiritual things versus not being. And so as we go through, Paul's going to be making this comparison. Now, when we talk about Corinth, the first thing that we have to remember about Corinth, it is greatly impacted and affected by the culture in which it is found, the Greek culture, right? The Corinthian church lives in the midst of this Greek culture where competition, rivalry, self-promotion, and a stream focus on knowledge and wisdom are expressed and experienced and valued in the Greek culture. And the church will then be impacted by that. It's important for our conversation. The second part, it's important to note for those of you who were looking, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of them, are more active and greatly expressed here than in any other church we read about in the New Testament. It's interesting. In his greeting to them in chapter 1, it's on the screen, but you can look at it, he expresses his love and his thankfulness for them and then tells them in verse 7, you do not lack any spiritual gift. It's really interesting. He's coming and celebrating the reality of their engagement of the things of God's Spirit. It's where we get most of our training and most of our teaching on the full array of the gifts of the Holy Spirit later on in like chapter 12 and on. Like they're moving powerfully in the, in the works and, and in the person and the power of God's Spirit. But they are a, So they are a church open to the Holy Spirit and active, but... But here's an interesting thing. They're lacking health in it. If anything, what it should tell you is there can be people in churches with lots of spiritual fervor that doesn't represent maturity. doesn't represent maturity. They may be active over here but emotionally unhealthy, and they may have other sides of spiritual unhealth. Spiritual fervor does not equal spiritual maturity. It's just a reality here we see. Third, as spiritually active as they are, we find there's a real tension and real problem in the church. It's the reason that Paul's writing them. The first expression is seen, we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. This is the purpose of his writing. 
He says, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas or Peter. Still another says, I follow Christ. And he says, is Christ divided? He's saying that because the church is divided. This is really common in Greek culture to find like your primary teacher and then you align yourself with them and their primary theology or their primary teaching or their primary ideas, right? And so in this, he's saying, you found this person, you've gotten behind, and you're literally now having factions. You have us against them. You have one on one side and one on the other. And you go to church and you're literally divided. You pass by a group to get to your group because that's not your group. This is dangerous. Christ divided. This is ridiculous. I'm adding that to Paul's statement. It's ridiculous, right? Their spiritual activity did not hide their competition, did not hide their rivalry. They are literally split, and Paul is concerned. The second expression of tension that's named, this is probably even a bigger deal. It's getting back to wisdom. Verse 17 through 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. So I just want you to get very clear. There are some really, really important spiritual practices that are foundational to Christianity, baptism being one of them. And Paul's coming and saying, that is secondary to the nature and the power and the reality of the gospel message, and you cannot pollute it and you cannot water it down. Baptism is a very far second to the truth and the reality of the gospel. Then sent me to preach the gospel, not with wisdom. You see him countering here some of the wisdom of the world and the eloquence of speakers and philosophy. I didn't come with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. He's saying, I didn't come in my own strength. If I were to come in my own strength and I saved you by my own strength, then that empties the cross of its power. No, no, no. It had nothing to do with me. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel of Jesus is the power. It's the focus. The implied message for Paul reveals this next level concern for them. Hear this. And that, listen, I'm not just teaching you history. I'm teaching you history so you can find yourself. Everybody say, find yourself. Now everybody say, find myself. That's what we're trying to do in this. We want to find what God is speaking in the morning. He's teaching to us. So see if you can begin to find yourself and allow God to speak through it. The Corinthian church has pulled back into the worldly culture it's surrounded by. The specific language and concern for Paul that will impact much more deeply in the verses to come is that they have left the spiritual wisdom of the gospel message and listened and fallen back to some level into the wisdom of the educated elite in their world. It's a wisdom that attacks the gospel message of salvation they heard, responded to, and embraced through Paul. Here's the point. The wisdom that Paul is countering here is a, is a, is a wisdom that questions the reality and the truth of the cross for salvation. It's specific tension around salvation. We're going to dive into this, but it's important to recognize it's not just culture in general, right? It is embracing these cultural pieces that push back on the spiritual reality of the cross and of Jesus and our knowledge 
of God. The fruit, the fruit of this pullback, the fruit of in pulling back from the things of the Spirit, that's where division happened. That's where rivalry occurred, and they embraced a gospel different than the one that Paul preached. And so in this pullback, in chapter 1, you can see it again in chapter 2, in this pullback, in this engaging what he's calling foolishness, we begin to see the result of this in chapter 3. So I'm just going to skip there, name it, and then come back to 2, okay? So I'm going from 1 to 3, back to 2. But I think it's important to say, what happens, Steve? You're to say, what happens? What happens when you pull back from the gospel message? What happens when you pull back from the reality of God's spirit? What happens when you begin to be enamored by, by the culture and the, and the wisdom of the, those who the world deems to be wise? What happens when you pull back? Well, chapter 3 says this. Brothers and sisters, this is verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. You were still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? The second thing he named is the tension the attacks in the moment, the worldly wisdom. He says, do not deceive yourselves if any of you, what is uh, this verse, 18, excuse me. Do not deceive yourselves if any of you think you were wise by the standards of this age. You should become fools so that you may become wise. He's using that language because the world's calling them fools. He's saying that's true wisdom for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. They were good Christians. In fact, they are more spiritually energetic than most Christians that I know and the things that they're going after and even experiencing around the things of God's spirit. They embraced the foolishness of the cross. They embraced the quote-unquote foolishness of salvation as we know it. But then they began to to have their ears tickled by other people over here. They began to have conflict with someone who said something other than what they believed. And they began to, it wasn't like a complete full drawback. Like they're still being spiritual people. They're still doing really spiritual things. They're probably still seeing people healed. They're still speaking in tongues all the time. They're still having interpretation of tongues. They're having the prophetic. How do I know it? Because he's teaching on it. He's teaching on it later in 1 Corinthians 12 through like 17, right? He's teaching because they're practicing all of these things. It's very spiritually active. But they've lost the movement and the work of God's spirit as a present reality that's convicting them every day. Do we find ourselves in this at all? So we find ourselves now turning to chapter 2. And Paul speaking, what is this, uh, verse 12? What we have received, this is Paul's like reminder. This is a focus leading us to, to, to the mind of Christ. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. 
This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. This person cannot understand them because they are discerned through the Holy Spirit of God who now dwells in you. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? To instruct him? And then he drops the bomb. But listen, spiritually minded people, people filled with God's Spirit, you have the mind of Christ. He's trying to awaken them. He's trying to challenge them. He's saying, you're over here in foolishness. Oh my gosh, you're wasting the gift of the mind of Christ in you. It's powerful and it's rich. Here's some of the takeaways I want to build in light of Paul's concern for them. Truths that he wants to tell them, and I think we could hear them too. Number one. He wants to speak to them to recognize the difference between the spirit of the world and the spirit of God. Like all of you know, there are lots of voices in the world. And he wants us to discern what is the spirit of the world and what's the spirit of God. The tension between these two is here is directly related to their understanding of Jesus, of salvation, the cross, and what it means to be in relationship with God. For the Greeks and their philosophers specific to this culture, salvation and connection to God was based off of reason and was attained through endless arguments of philosophy, debates, and striving. What I want you to hear is this. Their salvation, connection to a higher power, is through human endeavor. Through their work, their own striving, their own ability. Now, with the Jewish Christians in the Corinthian church, they wouldn't have looked to the Greek philosophers as much as they would look to the Jewish teachers of the law. That's kind of the language as you go through. They kind of turned to the teachers of the law who, again, viewed the cross as foolishness. They saw it as reprehensible. They would view salvation as something a person worked towards through just trying to obey all this whole thing of just man-made law that they had created. And that was gained only through being obedient to it again. In both, wisdom in both of these groups is expect, expressed through intellectual knowledge and spirited debate. In fact, if you go back, I think it's like Acts 17 or whatever it is, I can't remember, but when Paul goes into Corinth, when he goes into Greece for the very first time, he literally goes to the Areopagus, the place of debate, and he says, may I speak? Like he engages their culture, he engages the means of communication, he, engaged, he, he, he engages this, right? He even speaks from different places and actually names some, some poets that they had read, just some non-Christian poets, right? And he's coming, he's using their style, but he comes with spiritual wisdom, right? He engaged their cultural understanding of expression, but he spoke the message of the gospel and the message of Jesus, in turn, the Spirit of God points to the work of Jesus on the cross, not human endeavor. It speaks to grace. You're saved by grace. The work of God, not 
by works, through faith, lest any of you boast that you made something happen in your own strength. He's trying to lead them from human endeavor to the grace available to all for salvation. The idea that you were pleasing to God because you're his child. There's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You can't do anything to make God love you more. He already loves you fully and completely. It's foolishness to the world. It's all about human endeavor. Second, the Spirit of God alone teaches and enlightens in spiritual matters. The Spirit of God alone teaches and enlightens in spiritual matters. Verse 13, I'm just kind of really kind of quoting what it says. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. For the Corinthian church, simply stated, in giving themselves to the wisdom of the world, they have literally repressed the work of God's Spirit. R.A. Torrey says this, and it'll be on the screen for you. Powerful quote. He says, The Holy Spirit dwells in every child of God. And some, however, the Spirit dwells way back in their consciousness in the hidden sanctuary of their human spirit. He is not allowed, the Spirit's not allowed to take possession as He desires of the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. Some, therefore, are not distinctly conscious of His indwelling, but He is there nonetheless. That really is a picture of what we're talking about here. They have repressed, they received gladly the message of the gospel, salvation through grace. And then as they got to a point, they began to listen to their voices. And they began to pull back and said, well, they're saying it's foolishness. And this is crazy. And all of a sudden, where the Spirit of God was moving, they repressed and said, we don't really want to hear the voice of the Spirit anymore. We just want to hear the spirit of the world and the things that wise people and philosophers and teachers of the law were saying. It makes more sense to think salvation and pleasing God through human and endeavor because that gives me control. I don't know if I can live without control. I can't, I'm not sure I can trust God to lead and to guide me and to have full control. And they have turned their ears, their eyes away from God to listen and engage a voice from culture again. Like I said earlier, it isn't wrong to listen to and be aware of what's going on. Culture itself is not sinful. It's not wrong to learn from different sources in the world. Like I said, Paul quotes the Greek poets, meaning he read them. But listen, there's a difference in learning about something and submitting myself to what I learn. Huge difference between learning something... Like, how did Paul know to go to the Areopagus and to use debate as a primary tool to share the gospel? Because he knew the culture. He had read their poets. He had walked through and seen the idol, the the idol to the unknown God who he then proclaimed. He understood culture. He wasn't afraid of culture, but he never bowed down to it. He recognized it served Jesus. It was under the lordship of Jesus. And in his life, he pushed back from culture to make sure it's submitted to the Lord. And anything that pushed back against his knowledge of God, the gospel itself, he said, that is foolishness because this is godly spiritual wisdom. It's who we have to be. He's reminding them that they are spiritual beings. 
I don't know about you, but it can be very easy to forget that we are primarily first spiritual beings. Listen, who live in a world that is not our home forever. So why give ourselves primarily to things that are only temporary with our thoughts and with our heart and with our passions and not give them to the things that are eternal in nature? That's what he's getting at. The third piece, the person with the Spirit is the only one who understands the things of the Spirit. The person without the Spirit, verse 14 does not accept the things that come from the the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of god but considers them foolishness that's common sense to me and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit only a person with the spirit can understand the things of the spirit the person with the spirit makes judgment about all things but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments basically he's saying is as it relates to conversations about salvation and about Jesus you don't have to be subject to any thought or judgment of anyone over here in the world because they just don't understand who God is. You don't need to go listen to them talk about God and who God is and question God because they can't understand the things of the Spirit because they don't have the Spirit. For who has the mind of the Lord to instruct him? They don't. But we do. We do. In these verses, Paul is making it clear the very ones that Corinthians started listening to and submitting their thinking around salvation to don't have the capacity to understand the things of the Spirit. They can't understand the wisdom of the cross because the only, the, only those whom God has enlightened through the Spirit may understand these things. Therefore, they can listen to them but should not be impacted by the judgments of non-spiritual people as it relates to the message of the gospel. Instead, as spiritual beings, they can understand spiritual matters because they have the mind of Christ. And this is super important in this. It does not mean that they are better than. This should not lead us to a spiritual arrogance or to some sort of arrogance as if we're better than. We're not better than. We're just uniquely empowered. And in that empowerment, we're actually empowered to be humble, to figure out, God, how do I, like Paul, then find a way to proclaim this message, the message of the gospel, in a way that they can understand? Guys, this is Kyle Morlock. Kyle, stand up. Any FSU fans in the house? He's, uh, he'll be first string tight end this year uh, for the FSU, so y'all be praying. So seriously, right now, I'm just going to pray for Kyle because I want him to, to I want, listen, I want him to thrive in football because it's fun to watch friends thrive. Like I have to watch Sydney thrive in softball for UGA, go dogs, right? But it's super fun to watch that, but it's even more fun to watch as they get to name Jesus, right, in the platform that God's given them. So here's the deal. We're going to pray for Kyle, but I'm going to talk about FSU real quick, okay? All right. So Jesus, put your hands towards Kyle. Father, I pray right now that you would bless Kyle. I pray that you would give him wisdom. I pray you give him discernment. But I pray more than anything, God, it is super hard to be in college. It's super hard to be in a super athletic environment. God, it's super hard because people are pulling at him. There's so many people, God, who have different ideas of who he should be and what he should do. But I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to envelop him, to protect him, to guard him. I pray, God, you would give him spiritual wisdom and such a conviction that he would never fall back. He would never shrink back from the power of God's spirit and that he would walk in the confidence of his knowledge of you and that he would love you with all of his heart, all of his soul, and all of his being all the days of his life, God, and that you would make him a light in darkness in Jesus' name and help him catch a lot of TD passes. Amen. Now, 
You can sit down, Kyle. Thank you, brother. Now, speaking of FSU, I had a spiritual, I've, talked, I've told this story before, but I had this, so again, I've got spiritual knowledge, right? I walk with Jesus. I hear these pieces, so I'm playing, playing golf with my buddy Todd. My, body, my buddy Todd is not a Christian, doesn't plan to be a Christian, doesn't understand Christianity. So on hole three through like 12 of golf, I was killing it, guys, like 15 over par. No, I was killing it, right? I'm sitting here playing golf, and he starts trying, he, he wants me to explain the gospel to him. I, if I offend you over this, please don't get offended. But I literally began to share the gospel of Jesus, and I said, well, I said, like, Jesus is kind of like Bobby Bowden. This is a few years ago. He's like, he's like the leader. Everything kind of falls under Bobby Bowden and the FSU football team. Nothing happens without him seeing it and understanding. He's oh, yeah, I get that. Okay, okay. And I said, talk to the quarterback. I started talking to the rock. Just these different positions. I began to share the gospel with him through the language of FSU football because he completely understood everything about FSU football. And when he got done, he said back to me, so you're saying the gospel is kind of like this and he completely got it it was beautiful and i got to baptize him three months later how did i lead him to jesus through bobby bowden in football football god it was so good right so good i'm happy to share the gospel through georgia football too and kirby smart good dogs anyway this is what i'm talking about we begin we're not better than no, we have a responsibility with what's been taught to us. And then shares what Paul's getting at here. They can't understand. You're not better than share. So the context of this verse, right, the reality of we have the mind of Christ. We've been empowered to view life differently. We've been empowered to share that. We have a wisdom the world cannot grasp. For Paul, man, he's all about saying, I want you to have this eternal perspective. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about Jesus. It's all about being aware of that. It's all about being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it is foolishness to the entire world. And they will call you fools and they will oppose you and they will stand against you. But praise God, you've been given the mind of Christ. You don't need this. You understand. Now share it. Here's some takeaway questions that I'm done. Whoever's leading worship can come. I'll go quickly. First question, let's read through all of these. Who or what do we really look at as our source of wisdom? Two, how has our thinking been shaped by the world? And three, are you aware of the Spirit of God instructing you in ways that make, that look and feel different than what you see in the world? They make you look different. They make you feel different. What do you really look at as your source of wisdom? Who do you look to? Who do you quote the most? Fox or CNN News? Is it some social media influence or social media? Listen, you just quote in TikTok all day long. Is it a talking head on TV? Is it, te- is it your teacher? Is it something in your world? Is it Jesus? Is it scripture? Is it your time spent with him? Second, how has your thinking been shaped by the world? Listen to all the voices shaping our thinking today around sensitive subjects. Who's the voice you're listening to around the unborn? Issue of life around the immigrants, political leaders and who they are and who you're voting for. Around marriage, gender, salvation. It's a long list of things of people who are influencing you. When's the last time you sat down and said, Jesus, what do you think about our political leaders? Not what someone else is telling me, not what a sermon or a podcast is teaching me. Jesus, what does it look like to vote 
in a way that honors you in my life. Remove all the voices and just listen to Jesus. Open up scripture and read about the leaders of the Bible. Read. It's important in the season we're going into. And are you aware of the Spirit instructing you in ways that look and feel different from the world you live in? Listen, it's good to love our world. We're to be in the world, not of it. It's good. The world is good. He created it. It's beautiful. It's right. And we we love the world in which we live because God created it. He called it good and it's perfection. But Scripture says that you are a stranger in a strange land. This place is foreign to you. You weren't created for this place. So you should never quite feel at home in it. it should, you should love it, but not feel comfortable. You should feel as if in some ways you're always going against the tide of what culture is teaching. If I find myself with everyone around me agreeing, I should go, whoo, I need to question where I am and what I'm doing because the tide I live in is different. And who I am with is different than culture. And I'm not a person who is bound by the wisdom of the world in which we live, but I am called to a higher standard of following Jesus. What's the lens, Steve? This is the last thing I'm going to pray for us. What's the lens, Steve, of what it means of the mind of Christ and that everything I'm doing is gospel-centered? It's this. Here's the lens. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, Father, this morning I pray that you would convict the hell in us, out of us. That you would convict us of truth and of righteousness. God, that you would produce a holy, reverent fear of a holy God that makes us arise or bow in respect that you are good. But then immediately as a paradox, would you then allow us to sense the embrace of a loving Father who is perfect and kind and grace-filled and compassionate. And we would all of a sudden recognize my life is not to be about performing for God, but to love Him and enjoy Him forever as I live under the shadow of His grace and His mercy and His compassion and the cross that was for me and the temple veil torn in two and now there is no condemnation and you look at me and say, this is Steve Hambrick, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, awaken us today to spiritual reality. We have the mind of Christ. We can embrace these incredibly difficult and beautiful truths and they can be awakened inside of us, Lord. Make us dissatisfied apart from anything else than having our minds awakened to the truth of Jesus and the gospel in us, Lord. Come and have your way. Amen and amen and amen. All right. I invite you to respond to the Lord leads, tithes, and offerings every week. We have our 
offer, excuse me, we have our, I'm sorry, I'm caught up, man. This is the giving, the communion. Communion, guys, it's called communion, the Lord's Supper. Have the elements available every Sunday for you to worship and to celebrate the cross of Jesus. I invite all of you to take it, but when you take it today, don't take it as some sort of spiritual rote thing that you do. I want you to say, God, would you awaken me with the mind of Christ to understand the cross, to understand the body broken, the blood poured out, Lord, so that I would leave my sin and only come to you. Or if you want someone to pray for you today, ministry teams will be here like that to come pray for you and just to love on you today. You respond as the Lord leads. At any point in time, if you need to go, I know you need to. It's already 1120, but if you can stay, I'll close this out in about 10 minutes at 1130, okay? We love you guys.